Bad things happen in Philadelphia. Bad things. To the 40, 35, into the 30, cut back 25, into the 15, 10, 5, touchdown! This is the best bad idea we have, sir. All right, we are the Driveway Athletes. I am Jack. I am joined today by Bill. And Bill, it's been a little bit. Yeah. Not seven years like CM Punk, but it's been a little bit. (laughs) I was hoping I would get that CM Punk pop because that's what it's going to be known as now. The road where it pops over. And now it's the punk pop? Punk pop. Is he allowed to use cult of personality? Yeah. Okay, I just That's didn't know. That's not a WWE song. I know, but I didn't know if... Rights. Yeah, but like, it's like one of those things where maybe they don't own the song, but they own the artist using the song. Like, it's a, like there can be weird rules. Um, yeah, with copyrights, yeah. But oh, he used it. And when that music hit, the place exploded. Well, it's been a build, right? Like they've they've been hint, like it's been in. I don't want to say fully open secret, but it's been hinted at for a while. Let's just say if he didn't make an appearance, there would have been a problem last night. That's how quick. That's how much they've hinted at it. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes I mean, you need Ke- to build Kenny that o- heat. Kenny Omega from Kenny Omega wearing shirts with CM initials on it. From Dar- Darby Allen going best in the world. From even punk putting on Twitter cryptic tweets. It's been a build. So correct me if I'm wrong, because I have been out of touch with the with the wrestling world for some time. Wasn't he well, doing you better get back in touch, brother? <laughs> Wasn't he doing some type of like show for WWE? It was for Fox. About oh, for WWE. Fox. Gotcha. Yeah, he gotcha. did not it, his contract was not with WWE, it was for Fox. Got you. I didn't know what the crossover there was. I knew it was adjacent, but I didn't know like how many steps removed. Yeah, it was with uh, Fox Sports, not the not WWE itself. Well, I'm assuming that's done. Oh, that's done. Yeah, yeah. Um, from what I'm from what I'm being told, it's a long term, multi year deal with AEW. Well, it's got to be. It's not a part time. It's not a part time six month deal. Well. Now, the last time I tried to t- – I don't want to use the word try because that's not fair to AEW. But the last time that I had tuned into AEW, the roster depth just wasn't there. So I, is that this still the same case? Because I would imagine they can't really afford part-time contracts just based on their ta- – like the volume of talent, not amount of talent. No, they can afford whatever they want. I just the, make me – Tony Khan's as- father is a Jacksonville Jaguars football owner, so he's got I, money. I don't mean in terms of financially. I mean, in oh, terms okay. of filling out a card. No, they they fill out a card. They they've got some talent. I mean, Christian's there now. Uh, John Moxley, aka Dean Ambrose. They got a. Uh, they got probably Bray Wyatt and Daniel Bryan coming over now. They're going to fill out, and they've also got their their own talent, like the Kenny Omegas, the Young Bucks, Chris Jericho. They they have a card now. They have a lot of name name talent now. 
and Mark Mark Henry is you know he's he's a name guy. He's working behind the scenes and the Big Show, who wrestles kind of part time. Well, he's... he hasn't wrestled yet. He hasn't wrestled yet there, but he's going to at the pay per view on uh, September fifth. Getting up there long in the tooth, you know, to be wrestling a lot, especially that's why he's got to be a special attraction. You can't use every Wednesday, but you can use him once every four months. And I also feel like what guys like him, like, uh, is he got, is he going by Paul white, big show, Paul white, Paul white, you can't use big show now. And I, I also feel like with Paul white and guys like that, there's not many of them, but you have to do it a special attraction because it's not very believable when there's a lot of people on your roster that can beat that guy. Right. And that was the problem at the end of the run or midway through his run. Like he had been beaten by everybody almost. It seemed. But it just doesn't feel you need when you've got a guy just, just that massive. And it like, it just, there's an amount of suspended belief, you know, like anybody can win any wrestling match. And then there's an amount that's just like, all right, this is silly, you know? And I just feel like with a guy like that, you need someone of like, that's believable and it can only happen. It can't happen all the time. It needs to feel special. It's got to be a special attraction. That's why back in the day when we grew up, Hulk Hogan never wrestled on TV. You had to buy a ticket to see Hulk Hogan. And by the same token, Andre the Giant wasn't, wasn't everywhere all the time. He was a special attraction. And I think that's the way they try to use Brock Lesnar, or we're using Brock Lesnar. Yeah, but that Brock seems Lesnar like... is not going to wrestle every Monday night. No, just he's not. right. right. Um, different guy too. You know, he's not going to agree to it. I don't think he he likes. And and honestly, I don't know. He's rumored to go to AEW too. This guy's got a lot of money, man. He's got a lot of money. He's I got don't more think money it's than maybe McMahon at this point. I don't know that it's just money, though. No. No, there, there's a there's an uprising for something different. Well, I feel like it started... How long ago did Cody Rhodes kind of just jump ship and say, I'd rather be happy on the independent circuit? It's got to be over five, 10 years ago. Four, four or five years. Well, no, I'm not sure if it was that long ago. Maybe not 10. Maybe five? Um... Between five and ten, because AEW started two years ago, and he was in Japan for a while. Yeah, like I, it, I think it's over five, but less than ten. Let's just say it's over. I want to say twenty fifteen, maybe around. Okay, so six just years ago. A dart. Yeah, I feel like that was kind of an eye opening thing because he was, um. He was at the top, you know, like, I mean, he might not have been like the biggest name, but he was building. He was a Rhodes. Yeah, but he was a Rhodes. Yeah, he could have stayed in WWE forever and made a good living. Never would have been a great, you know, never would have been a top guy, probably. But he could have got a paycheck. So you tell me, because what it seems like to me, like, and I wouldn't know that I'm, I'm not dialed in enough. But it seems like to me a lot of what these guys are complaining about is that it's just not fun. And I don't even mean that like it was it's fun a great word. back in the 90s. But I think that guys, even though they had a long road history and they, you know, like they did do a lot of things that were, you know, to, in order to uh, be healthy enough to compete. But I think that they enjoyed 
being in front of the crowd. And I think that they enjoyed the work that they were doing, maybe not what it felt like afterwards or being away from their family that much. And it just seems like it's not the case now. That basically, I think that the phrase that I have heard or seen on Twitter is really it's a show for one person. And that person is increasingly out of touch. It's it's a group of writers that write for the audience of one. So, and if you you get you know to keep your job, you have to please him. So it doesn't leave a lot of room for creative writing. It doesn't leave a lot of room for creative output. And that's but, the thing when people leave, they're like, you know, you got to memorize line by line by line by line. Well, why don't just hire actors at that point? Why am I here? And like, I guess that's what I was going to um, say is like it feels like to me in the in the era that I remember, um, the era that, you know, like the, the 80s and, and late 90s, the storylines came from inside the locker room, you know, like and if you yeah. didn't have the mic skills, you, you better be really either charismatic or a really good in ring talent. Um, because everybody who got their hands on the mic, for the most part, if they tripped over themselves, they could recover. And That's, it just go ahead. The mic, the mic skills today aren't there because they're just getting lines. And it, the, even the top guys in WWE right now, the good promos don't, aren't given lines. They're given creative freedom. Roman Reigns, John Cena, Randy Orton—they're all given creative freedom, and they're the best promos. Yeah, but like. Well, that's you're you're also, not allowing anybody else to do that. That's also like John Cena and Randy Orton are a little bit of throwbacks. They're like they're like tweeners. Like they yeah. kind of cut their teeth in that like early 2000s. Yeah. You know, like different era where like Roman Reigns is unfortunately it's no knock on him. I you know like um but he's of this era so like um, the fact that he has that ability is he he worked on it himself, I'm sure. Um, yeah. Also comes up from a wrestling family, correct? He's the Rock's cousin. Right, right. So, so that, that could help a little bit. Right. Well, I mean, like, just, just there's a diff. I don't know. It's Sometimes it's different when you come up in something. And you know. You just know how things work. And for I some think, I honestly think now, I didn't think it a couple months ago. I think McMahon's going to sell. It sounds I that think way. This is where it, that's where, like, all these guys that he's cutting, like the Braun Strowmans, the Bray Wyatts, Paul White, Mark Henry, these are big, big guys, which he loves. He doesn't get rid of them. I mean, they're doing this almost as a cost-cutting measure to make themselves more attractive to a buyer. Attractive buyer. I mean, it's the only thing I can think of. It's not like they're not selling out. I mean, I know that this this year and last year are odd, but it's not like they're they're having and their their tickets are going unclaimed, whatever they can sell. And they're not having money problems either. I mean, they just had a big contract with Peacock. Yeah. So it's interesting, but also like you know, like I always... I don't I don't think my man has another war in him. I can tell you that. Well, he's up there, and he's again like sometimes people just get out of touch. What worked before doesn't work now, and what you're trying now isn't exactly working either. Now I can tell you myself, like I can't even sit through Raw, and it's been it's been a 
over a year now, I guess. I, I mean, guess you're their audience, so that's bad. <laughs> it's it's not good. Like I, I'll watch a pay per view maybe, but if there's something else going on, I'm not I'm not going out of my way to watch it, and I'm definitely not going out of my way to watch it not live. But you know, I watch AEW every Wednesday. Now I guess I'm going to watch it Fridays at ten. Yeah, but I don't watch WWE anymore. I keep track of what's going on just because it's on the internet, and that's, I guess my, I guess group of friends or whatever. The uh, what do you call it? Your click? The, no, no, the algorithm. Oh. The algorithm leads me to see all kinds of stuff, so I keep track of it. But I don't, I don't watch it. Um. Yeah, so but like, AEW just keeps me interested because it's it's authentic, and yeah, well, it's not fine, it's not you know shiny, but it's authentic, it's yeah, genuine. But here's the thing, Bill, and I think that this is a good comparison. Is it doesn't have to be the most shiny and most refined. People will still tune in to watch Jake Paul box, you know, right? Yeah. It doesn't yeah. have to be the best foot. Sometimes the best or most refined isn't that entertaining. You know, like it's, it just is. You can't put on a perfect show. I mean, that's why you do live TV. Nothing bad can happen on live TV. Yeah, but I think just so. I think what it what what it is though, Billy, is they. I don't know. I haven't watched, but you you tell me. This is my thought. This is my thought. Is if something goes wrong. They don't have guys that are comfortable enough to fix it. So I'm going to relate it a little bit to food. Um, what separates a lot of times the, the home cook from a chef is when their food is a little over, a little under. They know the ways to either dress it up or get it ready. And so if you go to someone's house and they're barbecuing or grilling for you and um, – something's over seasoned. If you're at someone's house who's a real cook, they can figure out how they don't have to just start over from scratch. And I think that they've got a lot of wrestlers who have, because they've been fed a lot of things. If something doesn't go right or something isn't working, they can't dig themselves out of that hole. Whereas like some of these guys in AEW who are longer in the tooth, who came up in a different era, they know the se- the ways to circle it around or just fucking deal with it. Like a good comedian. If a good comedian might go up and bomb on stage, some of them are good enough that they can fucking dig themselves out of it. Some need to punch out. Sometimes it's too far along and you need to just punch out. But if you don't give people the ability to to, to hone that skill um, to where something goes wrong, they feel comfortable and confident, then you're stuck. You know, so if something doesn't work, you've got to go back to the drawing board instead of saying like, oh, instead of this, try this. And I think that at least based on what I've heard on podcasts and different wrestlers talking, talking about things, that idea of sharing things back and forth and bouncing ideas and someone saying, hey, if you, you got this, why don't you try that? Why don't you try this? Let's work on this. Maybe it needs another week. When you've got a writer's room who doesn't know how it actually works in the ring and you've got guys in the ring that don't really know how the writer's room works, you're just missing something. There's a disconnect there. There's a huge disconnect there. You're correct. And also I think the problem with WWE is they have the NXT development, which is great, but they're all taught the same way pretty much. There's no 
they're all taught, you know, there's no going through the territories anymore. There's no trying different things. So, and that's, that's another thing, too. Yeah, NXT lost AEW on Wednesday nights. They had to move. So now Triple H lost a lot of leeway with Vince there. Which is so silly. That, that relationship's is, a little fractured. Which is silly. Like, personally, it's silly because Vince lost to Turner for a while. And it doesn't mean that your product isn't as good, right? It just means you've got to work. He needs a hit, and I don't think I don't know if he has a hit. No, and, he just and like, keeps bringing back. He keeps bringing back Goldberg. Well, you know, The Rock always comes back here and there. He's rumored to come back soon. It feels a lot like the dying days of WCW. Where you look it around does. and you go, we've reached a peak. We, we've we scraped the bottom of this barrel. What do we do? And right, like WCW was well into its death, death knell well before they broke up the NWO. You know, yeah. like it was well on its way out. And that was like, that was the final, like we've got, we, we, we scraped the bottom of the barrel. We're going to break the barrel. And... You've got to look around and what like so Vince is getting his ass kicked and um, what did they do? They went back to like they didn't go fully back to an old formula, but it was about we've got to we've got something here and now we've got to keep building up heels to throw at them. And I just feel like they're lacking. You tell again, you tell me. But they're lacking long-form storylines to keep building up heels to get heat. They're, that's one of the reasons they're lacking. Absolutely. The villain drives the story. That's the one thing you could say that the NWA and WCW fucking knew. Fucking knew. The well, villain drives the story. Anymore. Nobody wants to be a heel anymore. I don't understand. That's, I, that's another aspect of it, too. I don't, I don't get that, because like for me, be, they, they don't want to be, be disliked. They don't want to do it on social media. They don't want to do that on merch. Yeah, but you, I'm gonna sit here and say this, and I and again, I haven't watched, but I'd be hard pressed. He, he goes by MJF. Is, is this correct? Because I see his stuff on yes. social media sometimes. That Max guy seems Jacob Freeman. He's a true heel. Seems to be having the time of his fucking life as that character. He 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 he's got a little Piper vibe to him. Like he's got he's a great heel. He's got a young Jericho vibe to him. That. He's got a young Jericho yeah. vibe to him because he's enjoying it, and you could see that he's enjoying it. You he know, enjoys like, being a prick, but that's very rare nowadays. You think it's afraid based on like today's culture that guys are afraid to push an envelope? Yeah, that 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 could be that, and that's the way it is in comedy as well. People are afraid to push the envelope. I think that's true for some. I don't think like as a comedy fan, I think it's not true for all. I think all of them like to bitch about it. Um, but I've been to many a shows where guys are pushing envelopes recently. You know, like yeah. Um, I think it's finding out how, and then you know. We could talk about societal issues at another point, 
But I guess my feeling is, is like, okay, when we look back on like the, whatever we want to call it, the Mount Rushmore, the greats of wrestling, whatever we want to say, right? However we want to categorize it. <laughs> Virgil's up there. Well, he's, he, he's like the moon. He's not even on Mount Rushmore. He's above Mount Rushmore. Meat sauce, baby. <laughs> but when you look at that Mount Rushmore, right? You and I would probably have different names, but I think we'd have some same. Right? Ric Flair's got to be on there, correct? Would you have Ric Flair on your Mount Rushmore, Billy? He would be, yeah, he's in a conversation. I would think so. Shawn Michaels? He might be. It's tough. Give I almost got to go Hogan, Austin, Rock. Rock and that's who? The, that's the drawing money. Hogan, Austin, no, 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 Rock, no. and Flair. But let's. I mean, drawing is important. <clears throat> but you're Mount Rushmore. Don't worry about the money side of it. You're, you're, top, you're top four or five. Have to be Austin, Sean, Rock, and Flair. All right. So, because I never was a Hogan guy. So, well, we were young one and two. It was just so much like, so trying to be like, oh, like when you want, like, I think you and I are the same. Where we like our good guys to be our our good guys in movies, our faces in wrestling to be, um, not perfect. You know, like there's a reason I don't like Superman. Um, I like a flawed character. I want someone who scratches the surface on being more real. And Hogan was just like so over the top, like, you know, try to do everything right or say everything right that it just doesn't, it rubs you the wrong way, even if it's not on purpose. Um, That's why people don't like Cena. Yeah, well, correct. But like, I also feel like Cena to a certain extent, that character might be the best possible version of Cena. But I've, I'm hard-pressed to find someone in real life that has a negative thing to say about the guy. True. You know, so, like, while it is annoying, um, it is close. Like, Hogan, like, was doing all that stuff and, like, you know, I think the, ma- the, the man was obviously more flawed than the character. So, like, sometimes that inauthent- inauthenticity um, – you, you, you don't quite put your finger on especially how young we are. Right. But it's there. So anyway, Michaels, Flair, The Rock, right? Mm -hmm. So all of their best work was at heel. Yeah. Yeah. The Rock's best work. The Rock's best work for me was as a heel. The people's champ, the most electrifying with the corp- man. With the corporation. Oh, when he fucking came out and he's saying that stuff and everybody's booing him and didn't give a shit. You know, like it was great. Michael's it was great. Michael's best work was as a heel with Brett Hart. I mean, and and I mean there's there's other work of Michael's that was great. So don't don't But you don't get Shawn Michaels without that heel work with Bret Hart. Those two guys pushed the envelope for what smaller champions could be. At that time. 
that um, was it. Yeah, it was right at their steroid trial, so they had to go small. <laughs> they had to go. Yeah, well, it just is what yeah. it is. But like, it was not a thing. Like Michaels is in a land of giants. Michaels is not a giant. Um, no. and um, but his best work was pushing that envelope with the ultimate. You know, another ultimate good guy in Bret Hart, who whose his best work was probably as a heel as well. Yeah. Um, my point is, is even Austin is an anti-hero. You know, he's he's right. like the, he's the not, Punisher not, of wrestling. He's not your, he's not your baby face. No, but symbolic of the late nineties. Yeah. Um. So, like, when you look at that and you say, like, nobody wants to be the heel, and I go, well, how does the story work? Right. The you villain, need a guy. To, you need a guy to be hated. Look, I think you and I will probably agree. You know, like the Batman film franchise is usually of the better of comic books because the Joker is the best villain in comic books. Exactly. Doesn't like agree one hundred percent. This isn't just about like Heath Ledger's Joker or Jack Nicholson's Joker or Jared Leto's Joker. The Joker is the best villain in comic books. Batman works because he's a flawed – he's also a flawed um, hero, right? Like this This isn't a – this isn't Superman. This is a flawed hero on, on his own, right? But the Joker is the best villain, um, and I don't know how, how close it even is. You need a good villain. It doesn't work otherwise. Stone Cold is great in his own right, and he's great because he's worked with many villains, but his best work, The Rock's best work, was Rock is the heel. I don't know that it, wrestling reaches the heights without The Rock being such a good heel. I don't know that some of the, you know, like I don't know that Hogan reaches his heights without Andre the Giant or without Earthquake. You know, like a good Piper, heel to drive a story. Piper. Piper, without Piper. 100% without Roddy Piper. So like without hearing that guy, without guy, that guys don't like, I don't know, man. I just don't have that in me. Like, I don't mind not being liked, you know, so I don't understand. Um, That's the problem that, that a lot of guys are running into just from listening to podcasts and stuff like that. Like, they don't want to be disliked. And that, that I don't understand. You're right. Shit, Bill. You could even say some of Hulk Hogan's best work was at a heel, as a heel. That's... That's when I liked them the most, as as odd as that is. Because that seemed a lot more like him. Turned up to 10, but it, it was, at least it was more authentic. And it was just, it fit the times better. And, it, you know, like it gave you an, you know, like an unexpected thing. But I, you know, I think that there's an argument to be made that Hollywood Hogan was Hulk Hogan's better work. I think so. Um, so I just I don't, absolutely think so. But I also I just again it's something I I can't understand. I don't you know like I I I can't understand the need to always be liked. So I don't get you know. I'm also not a 
that's not my life's dream. I'm not as athletic as those guys. So what, what don't take my, you know, take my criticism lightly, but, um, you know, like I can't do my body can't do that. So even if they don't want to be a heel, like, you know, it's your life, not mine. I just don't understand the need to be liked. It's just something I don't understand. Maybe it, and maybe it goes back to what you were saying earlier. Maybe they're just afraid to push a button. That could be it as well. I'm sure that's part of it, but I feel like some of this started before it got so sensitive to. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Like there was a story with the un-Americans. There was a there was an angle and it was late 2000, 2009, it was like test. It was, it was a bunch of Canadians basically. And they didn't have their heart into it because they didn't want to be booed. Bruce Pritchard told the story. Like, what do we have for you then? Somebody's got to be that guy. It doesn't yeah. work if someone's not that guy. It just doesn't. It doesn't work. No. No, you don't buy it. Usually people buy tickets to see somebody get their ass kicked more than root for somebody. I think that it's underestimated how much, how much of that there is. Like how, again, the villain drives the story. Whether that's in a right. real, you know, like... Some guys are draws because people just want to watch them get their ass kicked. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. It doesn't matter who does the ass kicking. It doesn't. No. You need a good villain more than a good hero. A hero can be any. They're following. In any good story, the hero is chasing the villain. It could be any hero. Now, the more compelling, the better. But it can be any hero. The reason why there are so many of them. Right, like in a Marvel movie, in any Avengers movie, you need 17 heroes. <laughs> With 17 movies. All chasing one fucking guy. With 17 original stories. <laughs> but I seriously. I like Black Widow, though. Black Widow was very good. Yeah. I liked them all, you know, to varying degrees. This isn't a knock on that whole genre. It's just... The better Besides the villain, the, the better the movie. Black look, was good. You, well, that's a whole different conversation. But look, there's a reason why Winter Soldier is my favorite. The Winter Soldier is the best villain, I, I, you know, of the MCU uh, universe. Not Thanos guy, huh? Thanos is the Superman of villains. He is. He is. You know, like, okay, great. He's the ultimate villain, but, like, he's not a compelling villain. No. Not to the Joker's extent. No, but I think that, obviously, not as much spoken and not as much charisma, but I think that you get more of that from Bucky Barnes as the Winter Soldier than you get from Ultron or... Um, I'm just trying to think of like the other, I guess maybe like the, the only other comparable would be like civil war when they have to fight each other. Right. Like that's a compelling villain yeah. because yeah. it's conflicted. Nobody's 100% morally correct, you know, like, so that's why, uh, again, that's probably my second favorite is civil war. But, um, the, the villain in maybe iron man two, uh, also, 
really good. Um, but it's it's better when it's not ultimate villain, right? Because we, we the conflict for me of of it being Bucky Barnes, but it's not really Bucky Barnes, and you know feels equally matched with Captain America, but there's a conflict here. I, I don't know. I think that that's the best the best form of of the MCU movie. How do we get here? We're talking about villains. Oh, okay. Talking about oh, good yes. villains. You need a good villain to tell a story. We went from MJF to Thanos very quickly. Well, MJF is the again. He's the what your best heel going. Yeah, I would say so. You need for my moolah. And then when you know, like, you've got to have the next thing teed up. So whenever the the big thing happens, you've got to be building someone on your mid card to be your next heel, or your next face. Because you got to keep feeding guys to your best heel to make them feel unbeatable. And then when someone finally beats them, you got to have a next guy that feels like he can do it. You know, like or squash the heel or the face. I mean, right. Like, you've got to be constantly building talent to keep feeling like they're the next one. And when it feels stale, it doesn't work. And that's, again, like, I'll credit when everything kind of cooled off and there basically was Triple H and not much else, um, it felt stale because Raw started the same way every week for, I feel like, three years. Um, it's seen that way. It definitely seen that way. With, that's not a knock. Promo. Yeah, and that's not a knock against Triple H. Like this isn't me saying like, oh, Triple H is responsible for me not watching. No, it's that they didn't do a good job at building up a different way to do a show, and they didn't do a good job at building up their talent underneath. You've got to constantly be building that talent underneath. Again, responsible for the collapse of WCW, not having that talent build up underneath. And I think that's why we're here now for AEW to maybe put WWF out of the McMahon family. It would be crazy, wouldn't it? And it all started with releasing Cody Rhodes. Who would have well, I mean, it? it started probably before that. It started with you, you, you grant him the release, but why was he unhappy that he asked for it? Lit a fire under his ass, I'll tell you that. Because he was playing like a weird Stardust character, which yeah. is basically like a parody of Goldust. But weren't they a tag team? Yeah, it just—he was stuck. He was stuck in a lower mid card as a like a comedic, comedic performer, and that's that's not his. It's ceiling. also tough to get out of. It's definitely once tough you're to get a, out of. once you're a joke. It's tough to Once not you're become painted a joke. with that brush. It's yeah. very hard to get back from. So, not a great transition, but we're going to transition anyway. Um, I just watched <clears throat> the uh, Woodstock '99 documentary on HBO Max, and um, as did I. Well, yeah, and it gives you, like, this nostalgia for that time. You know, like, we were both becoming adults around that time, so we were writing that genre for that music and that to I, be the... I love that time. 
I do too. Old old navy shirts. <laughs> Folding old navy shirts. Um denim. Denim experts. Um but they said a lot of things and one thing that like one of the many things that I I don't want to say didn't like that didn't sit right with me, but I also just feel like lacked cultural um, perspective. They talked about like the objectification of, of women and women thinking that this is what they had to do. Um, this was like their role They They were tamped down into being sex objects and they kind of blamed the music and concert promoters and girls gone wild um, for that. And this, like, for me, I feel like it lacks the perspective of it was culturally pervasive. You know, like, it's easy to point to one root cause when really that's just how it was. And they tried to point to, like, pop music as being, like, very bubblegum um, and innocent. And I'm not sure it was quite that innocent as the way that they pointed it out to be. Looking back with the lyrics, not really. Right. And then they they wanted to point to this like over – like I'm not – I don't want to trivialize what happened to anybody at that concert. So like that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is is like this concert was a product of its time and that time was through – had a through line through all of pop culture. Including what we were just talking about, that late 90s wrestling. You know, um, if you watch, go back and watch now, like, I can't believe that I used to watch that with my father and not be uncomfortable. (laughs) You know, and not feel a little weird about it. Yeah. Um, Same, same. And I just, it's not that I'm saying, like, this was not an object. The whole, everything about that era of time, not just... The music of that time, not just wrestling of that time, everything of that time was overly sexualized. And I don't think that that's fully – that's an offshoot from the 80s. It was a different time. It was just a different time. And I I don't think putting the blame on Fred Durst for everything that went wrong at that concert is is really – the true story. It was an angsty time. It was an over-sexualized time. Right. Well, there was that part of it, but also like, right. The time was over-sexualized and they wanted to paint it as like, this music was angry and only marketed towards angry young white men. I was a young guy at the time. You were a young guy at the time. And I hate like I hate to say this, but everything was marketed to eighteen to twenty four white guys at that time. That, that was that, that was, was the demographic. demographic. That was the demographic. That adver- advertisers, you know, advertisers bowed down to. And um, I think that there was this fragmented way to try to explain what happened, and. Um, the artists blame the promoters. The pro- promoters blame the artists. Some blamed MTV itself. And at, like my feeling is, is like everybody had a, has a bit of blood on their hands. And I think it's convenient 
for one person yeah. to be able to, and I know I, I I mean some people there was they did tell a story of a of a guy who died, um, of heat exhaustion, and that um, poor fella, that right that that poor guy. All he wanted to do is all he wanted to do is see Metallica. But I feel like you had a bunch of similar artists sign on to do a concert, right? Like all the artists that did a very similar type of music outside of like, you know, you had Alanis Morissette and Jewel that they talked about and Moby and, um, Sheryl Crow, Sheryl Crow. And then you had DMX who was, you know, I mean, that guy was on a, on a rocket ship in 1999 of stardom, you know, major crossover yeah. appeal. Um, but other than that, like Kid Rock, Corn, Limp Biscuit, they all kind of made the same type of music, and there's a lot of crossover Insane fans. Clown Insane Cloud, right, right. They, like, take the '90s and boil it down to its most common denominator, and like every band of that was that that was signed up. Well, so like, like if they weren't a pop band, they were at this concert. Pretty much, if they weren't a boy band, Britney Spears or Christina Aguilera, they were at this concert. And um, they tried to make some of these grant, you know, like some of the folks that they had interviewed try to make this as like, well, everybody was angry at this or that or and like my feeling is, is like I've been going to rock concerts for, I don't know, 22 years. There's fights at them. It happens. Some of them are bad. You know, like there's fight, there's fights at preseason football games. Whenever alcohol is involved with anything, it changes the dynamic of the whole situation. And you pile in, or you, like you have all of these bands, and basically you're pumping them for the most part from morning until night with heavy music. And the music isn't fully to blame, but like I feel like. There, a, a crescendo happens. And so you have that, and then you pump in that it's fucking hot. Like, and you have that many people. There's going to be bad actors and 500,000 people. It's not all the music's fault. It's not all the $4 water's fault. But when you have, like, no one stopped and looked around and said, like, Ugh, maybe, uh, maybe we should soften this up a little bit. Maybe we should, you know, like... Limp Biscuit put on a Limp Biscuit set. Corn put on a corn set. Metallica put on a corn set. They were hired to do that. It wasn't going to be Sesame Street. And what then they you, wanted. What, you, what, what were they supposed to do? Well, and then they want to compare it to like you know Woodstock '94. '94 was a different time than 1999. While only separated by five years, it was a different time. It almost seems like. 15 years. Well, and we talked a little bit off air, but like in a lot of cases, we tend to not see it this way, but like the next group of music that comes and sometimes generations are separated by 10 years. Sometimes it's 15 years. Sometimes it's five years. A musical evolution happens kind of every year or, or, um, or two um, because the next sound is probably out there. It just hasn't caught on yet, you know, and a lot of times that next sound is a reflection and or rejection of the last sound. 
right? And we tend to not, you know, like, so a lot of folks, like they, they tried to say like, oh, this is marketed towards, you know, young white guys and they're angry for whatever reason they're angry for. Um, it's convenient, but like, you know, I, I growing up was a huge fan of, of hip hop and rap music. And you look at like DMX was almost a direct response to those really shiny, like Biggie and Puff videos, right? So Biggie comes out and he's got a very authentic sound. And then all of a sudden he's got these very shiny Puff Daddy and Mace videos, very, um, high produced. And then DMX comes out and it's right back to the street, you know, right back. Yeah. And again, just a whole different, you know, it's not this like sampled catchy, um, out at the club type music. It is, it is bringing hip hop and rap back to, to its roots kind of. And I feel like the people pushing back to that, you know, like, or, or pushing to that was a reject starting to become a rejection. All right. I'm, I'm tired of this overly produced stuff. And when you get what they, what we call new metal now, when you get Limp Biscuit and you get corn who had corn had been out, Corn had been out for a little while, you know, like their debut yeah. album was out yeah. well before um, Woodstock 99. Like that, by that time, Freak on the Leash was, you know, not their, that's not on their de- debut album. So, but that is in response to, so you have grunge, which was a kind of a rejection from hair, hair metal, right? Grunge is a direct re- yeah. rejection, right. a direct rejection of hair metal, like giant middle finger to hair metal. But you have you have grunge and then um, but grunge as much as people don't don't want to admit it, don't want to say it, especially about Nirvana, but Nirvana catches on because it's kind of it has some pop to it. And I'm not saying like it's pop music in the same way that bubblegum, you know, or boy band is pop. But it's pop for the people who like that kind of music. It has a catchy hook. You know, catchy hook, yeah. Catchy riffs, catchy guitar riffs. So it's not – it's a pop version of rock music, just, you know, which all of them have. We don't want to admit that – like pop is popular. It's short for popular. So anything that catches on. Um, but it has that kind of – the the riffs, the hook, you know, the the, the sound – it has that feeling. So after kind of the end of grunge, you're looking for what's the next, right? So we've already rejected eighties metal. So where's the next step, right? And new metal comes from taking a little bit of that more aggressive grunge sound, throwing a DJ with it and some, you know, like a detuned bass. Um, and making it a little bit, you know, taking that aggressiveness and pushing the envelope a little bit more. So it's not necessarily a rejection, but it's an evolution. And we can take what we want from that, but that is the fucking truth. And if we want to say that, like, rejection is, is aggression or or evolution is, like, that's the next form. Like, it just is, you know? It just is. That's where it went. But new Metal, if you want to tell me that the that that didn't become popular because the hook is catchy come on 
Let's live I can in still reality. Remember the hook for Nookie. Come on. Who doesn't? Who bar doesn't? with the bar. That had a chord. It, it. But this idea that it only was like it's these artists and it's it, it came from nowhere and it just was to make people angry. Like, have you listened to rock music? People fight at rock concerts. People fight at MMA fights. You know, I've been to many of those. I haven't been to one where there wasn't a fight in the crowd. It's not a Bert and Ernie sing-along going back to the 80s with metal. Metallica, Megadeth. It's, it's not a, you know, it's not a happy sort of music. Well, it just is. And so, like, they go on and talk about, like, how it's new metal and blah, 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 blah. Well, look, do we consider Red Hot Chili Peppers to be new metal? No. Do we consider them to even be hard rock? I would find it they would be on probably 98.1 nowadays. Well, that's when the riots start. Yeah. That's when the fire started. Well. That's when they burned the place to the ground. But it, it, it had all been bubbling. But I don't know that you can pinpoint blame in one place because it goes everywhere. Nothing is an event unto itself. Not according to promoters. The promoters blame Fred Durst. You booked him. So clear, it still goes back to you. You booked him. I guess he, wa- I guess he wasn't supposed to play Nookie. I don't know. Or Break Stuff. I mean, those were their hits. Um, what did you want them to play? Well, just what you... If they didn't go out there and put on their show, would you then have said, oh, we're going to withhold your money? You didn't put on the show we, right. we hired you for? Right. Right, but I'm not saying... What, like, what are that, you supposed to play outside for three days? It's... Uh, blame... Blame goes everywhere in all directions. And I just feel like we want to look for grandiose reasons for... How, like, how did this happen? And how it happened was poor planning, poor infrastructure inside that army base, poor selection, and bad booking. And that doesn't mean I'm saying it's bad booking in that, like, those bands shouldn't have played. But top to bottom, you really got what you booked. What what did you expect to happen? Corn, Limp Bizkit, Metallica going on on a Saturday night. Back to back to back. It just it just is. What did you think was going to happen? Did you think people were going to sing Kumbaya? <laughs> At some point, you had to take a little bit of blame here, and they just didn't. To this day, they didn't. No. Twenty two years later, they have it. No, and um, I think that this is going to lead us, this is going to be a segue into leading us into, in addition to watching the the Woodstock documentary, I watched the Mouse at the Palace documentary, which you're talking about five years separating those two events. And I'm not saying they're, they're connected in any way, shape, or form. But I think that it's interesting to an extent um, – where like nobody called the artists while people threw blame at the wood. No one called them thugs. Now 
absolutely did not. You know, which which is interesting how we choose to like throw blame as as a culture, not the people retelling the story, but as a culture, and especially in the moment, it's easy. You know, Master of the Palace was what seventeen years ago. Um, two thousand four, two thousand five. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's very easy to retell it seventeen years ago and forget. You know the vibe. And how easy we want to um, call for justice without getting all the facts. And um, and how easy we go to, like, who should be punished. And I think, right, like, so who paid the highest price there? Well, clearly, you know, at the end of it, you get the feeling that Jermaine O'Neal paid the highest Jermaine price. Jermaine O'Neal, yeah, absolutely. Um. And to a certain extent, at the end of Woodstock 99, Limp Bizkit was never the same. Their their popularity had peaked. Yeah. I would say that they were at that apex, and it was on their way down after that. But I feel like what we're in both incidents, what we're lacking is accountability for the people who did it as well. Well, nobody wants to take accountability for anything, ever, it seems. so. It's always it's the buck and pay, point the finger. So where's the accountability when it comes to Woodstock for the people that, like, all right, we get the conditions where what they were, but that doesn't mean you also can, you know, turn around and burn the place down. Right. You know, like, you have to be accountable for your actions. Just because you're angry. Right. And, um, yeah, the promoters, I think, had to pay a price for Woodstock at the end. But, like, the people who wanted, did those things. They wanted things, to run it back in 2019. Yeah, well, not exactly wise. But they probably also see the popularity of other festivals. Coachella. And... Sometimes I think that we look at sometimes when it comes to those festivals too, for a lot of people, it's just saying you were there and you're not even there to see the acts that are there. Yeah. Um, it becomes an Instagram post. But I think to this day, to this day, we look at Ron Artest like he had a screw loose and I think he admits that he had some mental health problems. But what brings a person – and we just dealt with this in the, um, here with the popcorn thrower. But what brings a person to think that like th- it is within their right because they bought a ticket to be able to like throw an object at a player or at an act, you know, like just because you brought a ticket? It's a rationale I don't have. And we just went through that here. And look, it could have gotten ugly. You know, Russell Westbrook is also not a player – known to have all of his faculties at all the times. So I think that and Bede's words were that he's always in his feelings. Um, <laughs> and it could have been ugly. But I don't... The player has to be accountable because you can't go into stands, but at what point is, like, did you invite violence? Right. Like, you, you know, shouldn't be able just to do that, do that without any repercussions or consequences. 
and they and did this, the right thing. You know, they stripped yeah. all the season tickets, but but you had in my multiple... eyes that dude deserved an ass whooping. Well, you got the fucking idiot that throws the drink, and then you've got multiple idiots that run on the court. So, um, the idea is is like people try to make themselves more part of the show and try to voice their frustrations in ways that are fucking dangerous, right? And it ignores the fact that we do need guys to boo. If someone just goes and I'm just like, I'm here rooting for everybody. Like, come on. You need I a Reggie Miller. Teams to have fun. You need a Reggie Miller. Reggie Miller was such a good villain. You need a guy like that. I just want both teams to have fun. Like Rob Lowe with the NFL hat. Yeah, like I'm just a fan of the league. You need guys that be, you know, like you need a um, an Andrew Tony, right? The Boston like, Strangler. The Boston Strangler. You need guys that other, you know, like that's it's like your like your boy Trey Young. He plays like, that role pretty well. He plays it well. Embiid plays it well. Yeah, that does. doesn't mean they deserve to have shit thrown at them. No, it does not. It's fucking stupid. If you wouldn't do it on the street, you shouldn't do it there. Or at the bar. Like what, I, what I always say is like if you ran into this man. But they know or they think they'll get away with it because there's so much security around. And it's it's a weasley move. A little weasel. It's just because you bought a ticket doesn't give you the right. And I feel like you have these, these idiots at the mouths of the palace that take it even a step further. They actually run onto the court. That shit got out of control quickly. I mean, what do you expect? To ha- you, how many steps of decisions that you made did you make before you end up on the court trying to square off with Ron Artest? I think it, <laughs> alcohol had to play a small, big part of that, actually. It has to, but also he, like and he so he sobered up quickly when it went. He had that old shit moment in his face. Yeah. <laughs> You're staring at a very what did large. I get into now? Yeah, you're staring at, at a very large person. That would you know, kick like your your lily ass. And you you know like you just what do you expect to have happen? So I think like one is as like a culture, we didn't turn around and and look. You can agree with the race stuff or or not. We didn't turn around and call those concert goers thugs. You know, the people who are at Woodstock 99. We didn't call them thugs. We blamed the musical acts. And we didn't call them thugs either. No. And they were. They were. By, by, by your Webster's definition, they were. And it's interesting how that, you know, it was interesting to watch those two and how not just the retelling of those events happen, but also like how in the moment we dealt with those things. And it wouldn't be dealt with the same today. No, but I don't know if Russell Westbrook ran in those stands. I don't know what would have been said about him. And I don't think it's fair. And I'm using this phrase um, fair, but like, I don't think it's fair or right to expect someone to just have objects thrown on them and not react either. You know, like, I don't think that that should be acceptable and I don't think that that should be okay. And I don't know if Russell Westbrook ran into those stands, 
what the commentary would have been about that. And I will say, if you throw an object at somebody, you should expect that they're going to fucking punch you. That doesn't get some consequences. That's it. And it's not just like, then it becomes security, security. Yeah. Your season tickets are removed. Okay. Like, fine. He got his punishment. He can't go to a fucking game anymore. Well, okay. You know, like that doesn't mean that Russell Westbrook necessarily got hit, you know, like, I don't know, you know, like, and and the fan in, in New York that spit on Trey Young. You know, like, all right, fine. You got his season it's tickets. Just a, it's sense. It's sense of entitlement, and it ain't a good look for anybody. No, entitlement it's unac- is not a good look for anybody. It's unacceptable. It's unacceptable, and I feel like we. It was very convenient to call those young play. They all were young. Jermaine O'Neal went into the league as a young man. He was a young man when that incident happened. He's seventeen, eighteen. Not in, at the time. I mean, when he got in the league. In a scene of he was utter out of high school. Of yeah, of utter chaos. We called those men thugs, and not like me and you, but as a culture, we nah. did. The media. Yeah, as a culture, we did. Media and did. The not again, not that there are fully related incidents, but they did not call those rioters thugs. They're the people that burned the building down, or burned the you know, whatever whatever parts of Woodstock '99 they burned down. And it's interesting how these stories get retold, right? Because I do, you know, like, I don't think that they, I think that they tried to tell a more whole retelling of the malice at the palace, but our test accepted his blame. You know? Yeah. And I feel like all we had was a bunch of people pointing fingers in different directions with the Woodstock one instead of saying, like, look, Maybe we could have done this better. Maybe we could have done that better. And the artist maybe we could have well. had more food bodies that worked. Right. Or maybe we could have. We knew that we were throwing this. Maybe we could have invested more in security instead of throwing it together last second and having to put people through a crash course. And give it anybody who wanted to be security guards, security guards. Maybe right. hire a security guard right. company. Or just I mean, I'm planned. sure they existed. Then, and right? they had, they, I'm sure that they knew they were throwing that not just a couple months in advance. They could have invested well before, months before the concert, in ha- you know like security and mapping out where you're going to have med- you know medical setup and all. It's just very haphazard, and I feel like you had, in one hand, you had people accepting blame who really got treated horribly, and in another, on the other hand, you had nobody accepting any blame, um, and I think that like in the Woodstock version. The blame could be shared. Nobody was innocent. Other, you know, like I'm not saying Jewel maybe was responsible for what happened, but um, the promoters. That's, that's an interesting. That's an interesting hypothesis. Yeah. Right. Um, the it was promoters. All fault. Yeah. It was all the, Rosie Perez's fault. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. And then, like when we're retelling it, just an uh, inability. To look around at the culture of the time, you know, and look at like what, like how things are certainly a product of their time. Like, look at how much security's changed for everything. It's not necessarily a direct reflection of Woodstock '99. Something happened two years after that that changed the way we do yeah. security. But well, it hasn't um, been the same. No, but a um, 
not accepting or, or realize, you know, like I think that we have a real big problem. It look also look when we look back to retell these stories, not looking at them in their time. And I think that like while we they tried to tell a complete story with Woodstock, they really lacked perspective um, in, uh, you know, kind of just discussing what the late they are like 1996 to 1999 really were. And maybe 1994 was a more like innocent time. Um, I don't think it was because I remember pretty objectified like 80s rock videos. Um, uh, r- rock and rap. Yeah. Pretty objectifiable back in that, the 80s and 90s. And I just think that like the nine, like the, that that era of like the day, sex, sex sells. But like it's always sold. The late 90s, you know, 96 to 99, everything was over the top. Everything was over the top. You know, and it took a pretty cataclysmic event in 2001 for things to start reeling back in. A lot, yeah. And I just feel like we lacked... They lacked the ability to tell a little bit of like what culture it was like. It was very easy to look at these incidents in themselves and in the acts that were there, you know, and the people that were going and not in like where the culture was. And then on top of it, um, there was never anybody that said, maybe I could have done a better job, which is like, you would hope that all these years later, you know, nobody did. Nobody said that. It was such a stark contrast between Woodstock and the Malice at the Palace. And look, nobody died at the Malice at the Palace, you know, like, but you had Ron Ortest accepting blame. You had Jermaine O'Neal accepting blame, um, saying, I, you know, like I could have done better or made better decisions or I would, you know, like, and nobody, nobody in that Woodstock documentary, nobody who w- was interviewed said like, ah, maybe this, you know, maybe I could have done a better job with this. It's a lot of defensiveness and a lot of blame pushing. And you would hope that 22 years later, you know, somebody could look back and say, maybe I could have done a better job, you know. There was no Andy Reeds. Well, anything, you know, maybe we could have done yeah. a better job. You know, I think that the blaming $4 waters is like silly. But I think that <laughs> like the other conditions about like there was – Look, I've been to concert, outdoor concerts where people are just pissing everywhere. You know, like I've I've been there. It didn't take Woodstock for that to happen. But the idea that like they had no real plan for like how to make it better or or, or like get the trash cans emptied or, you know, like just very normal things that over three days you should have good plans for. Um, that literally they couldn't have said like, ah, maybe we kind of brought – some of this upon it, you know, like itself. And I'm not saying all of it. I'm not saying the acts are without their own blame. And I'm not saying that like booking all of those acts was wise um, and putting them on back to back to back without like palate cleansers. Um, But a little bit of like, you know, saying could have done a better job. That's on me. <clears throat> and it just was the, the contrast was couldn't be more and one group of people got caught thugs and they were the ones who accepted accountability when maybe you know maybe their behavior wasn't quite as bad <laughs> nobody died 
No. No. But if uh, if Jermaine O'Neal connected with that punch, somebody would have died. No, but I also feel like what the and and it. I think at some point, all bets have to be off. And when those fans kind of entered the court, the soda and the popcorn is one level of shit that you're except you're bringing violence onto yourself. But entering the court when there's all of 12 players and there's 20,000 fans, that's a different level of chaos. And that's a different level of panic. It got out. It shit got real. Fast. Shit got out of control. Spiraled out of control quickly. It descended into there madness. Was, there wasn't any. There wasn't anybody to you know. Well, and we didn't get that full story. Not just about no. how it started, but we didn't get the full story about how chaotic that whole scene was on the court. We didn't get the images of that. We didn't get. We got Jermaine O'Neal slipping, hitting the guy like in the chin and neck. But like. We didn't get how chaotic just getting those players into the locker room really was and how dangerous it probably was. Oh, it, it looked dangerous. I mean, at some it point looked, when, when you look around, yeah, you have to think that like, fine, we've got this view from far away and you could see gaps and crowds. But when you're in the middle of it, I can't see how someone couldn't have thought that maybe their life is in danger. No. I wouldn't want to be involved in that. No. I go no, for a I, good time. But on the same token, like the next line too is like offline we talked about like the woods going going to Woodstock ninety nine. And I looked at it like and I'm not someone who's claustrophobic. You know, I'm not someone who I wouldn't consider myself an anxious or stressed out person or not personable. But like I get uneasy when I saw those videos of a sea of that many people. Just of like, if you're yeah. in the front, getting out of that, if you need to get out of it, how long that takes, you know, like. And this was before cell phones. So you yeah. were fucked. Forget it. Forget it. And, you were fucked if you got lost. I just was like, I don't want any parts of that. And I loved all no. those bands at that part of my, at that part of my life. But I was like, I don't want to be part of being in, stuck in a crowd that deep. Not in that much, that, not in that much of a crowd, man. No, Absolutely and I like. Not. I went to, I don't know, 2017, I went to Metallica. It's like Metallica, Avenged Sevenfold, and Vol- Volbeat. Um, and I had to go to, because of like different tickets, I had to go to the concert in Baltimore. And we were on the field, uh, me and another friend of mine, or friend of ours, me and another friend of ours. Um, and I'll tell you, like we got there really early and we were close. Getting out was a lot and being on the field and that's just a football field that's not a fucking a base an army base full of people getting out was a lot and if you went to the bathroom you're not getting back to where you were and just feeling that tightly packed in it doesn't feel great you know like i doubt i'll ever do a concert like that again well we're old men now so yeah i know that there's that too but like to, to be honest with you like and i know that it makes me sound not just old and out of touch, but like even going to BB and T, um, I don't think I'll be on the lawn again either. Um, and it's, it's a lot of it is about just navigating through the crowd, especially when it fills up, you know, yeah. the bathroom and getting back. That is a good chunk of it. Not having like an assigned space. Um, and a lot of it is just like, look, 
there's less fights in the seats than there are where people bump into each other. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The fights that's that I've seen, that's where starts, the fights happen. Yeah, it all starts in the lawn. In the lawn and, and, or, and or general admission where people aren't assigned a spot and they're bumping into each other. When they're not assigned a spot, then it becomes, then it becomes sketchy. Well, then you're in my space, you know, like, it, you know, it just, that's where it just becomes, that's where the fights happen. And like 500,000 people or however many actually were there. That's all it was, you know? So, like, why didn't you have a thought? Like, this isn't 1969. And I also also have the belief that there were probably a lot of fucking fights that happened in 1969, too. We just... That gets romanticized a lot, too. And they tapped tapped into that a little bit. Barely, though. Barely. Yeah, barely. They skimmed past it. Like, yeah, some shit happened here. Let's go here. Yep. And I think that, like, we tend to look at that as, like, no, every, like, I'm sure things happened. I'm, whenever you get that mass of people in one space, there's just people who go there for the wrong reasons anyway. You know, and it's not the music. It's not always the music to blame. It just is. Um, but having heavier, harder music sets a, a vibe for a lot of people to get really amped up or be more likely to be on edge when someone bumps into them. But you tie in that it's hot. You tie in that you haven't been able to shower. You tie in that, like, everybody's on edge. The place you smells know? like shit. A shit and piss everywhere. You know, like, so, yeah. again, the blame goes in all directions. It just was interesting to watch both those in the same day, you know, and um, the narrative. See the contrast. Put out there. Yeah. yeah. And I just feel like the Palace one, like they both were entertaining. I'm not going to say that they weren't. But the Malice of the Palace one, I just feel like was much better done. Because I came away feeling like I knew more than I did before I watched it. I had a new perspective. It told the story in a full retelling. Where Woodstock, I just kind of feel like I had a lot of people like, all right, there's some things I learned. But it was a lot of people saying, ah, it was that guy's fault. This guy shouldn't have done that. That guy shouldn't have done that. And it was never anybody saying... And eh, maybe this wasn't the best of ideas, or maybe we could have done this better. No accountability in that one whatsoever. None. Zero. Yeah. So, on that note, um, I still blame Rosie Perez. It's of course it's all her fault. <laughs> but on that note, um, AEW's next airing is. When? Wednesday, Dynamite, CM Punk. So he's going to be on the Wednesday show? He's going to be on every show, he said. He goes, he's got a lot of time. He's got Wednesdays, Fridays, five pay-per-views a year. How many pay-per-views? I'm going to be the guy in my fantasy draft watching CM Punk fight Darby Allen September 5th. (laughs) Um, How many pay-per-views a year does AEW, or are they planning on doing? Four or five. I think that that's they're, they're back for, to that model. I think that that's the right model for today's day and age, though. And I do. Why I, do. I why I say that? I've like, said I've said it for years. I think that people there's so many entertainment options. Like that's one. Um, two is everybody's so like fractured with like how many apps you have to buy, different things that you can have access to, and. 
I think that like doing it four or five, you can really put on something that's must watch. When it's every month, you see, you well, tend to wear it out. And I think that the, well, yeah, the, well, all that aside, you don't lead much to a build with a monthly right. pay per view. Right. And the reality is, the monthly pay per view formula. I feel like even that, when you go back to even the era that you and I were talking about, the late nineties, the reality is, is while there was a pay-per-view every month and you wanted to watch it and like every every Monday was much watch TV and all that stuff. But the reality is is big things only really took place on the big four anyway. Yeah. Titles didn't really change on the smaller pay-per-views, at least the big ones. Um the big things happened at the SummerSlams, the WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, the Royal Survivor, Rumble Series. Survivor Series. So like I mean, don't get me wrong, they made a lot of money and it's easy to second guess, but I feel like um, when the popularity waned, they could have done themselves a lot of favors by changing their format. Well, and that's they, what AEW's trying to go back to. God bless well, their souls. Correct me if they I'm wrong. They got me back in wrestling. <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, Billy. But like the in-your-house pay-per-views, they weren't as expensive as the big fours until they became like their own named ones, right? They were like a little yeah, cheaper. Yeah, they started they started out cheaper because they were they were all they were also only two hours. Right, but I think that like again, once you got to that like, um, I just always felt like um. That's a better format because now you're not trying to put on a longer show because people are paying more. You know, you can just put on a good show. Yeah, it becomes forced. Like, yep. You, like there's a whole pay-per-view now devoted to Hell in a Cell. Like it used to be a build-up to a feud, and that's where it would blow off at. Now you got to hot shot something in a month so they can go in a cell. It's diluted. Agreed. Agreed. So I think that's a good sh- time for us maybe to uh, call it a show. I'm, I'm good with that. Um, I'm good with that. And I doubt I'll watch, but maybe we'll come back with some like AEW content. If you're this hot for, you know, like if you're this hot uh, watching it, it might be a good train to jump on. It's an exciting time. It's an exciting right. time again. I haven't <laughs> felt that way in over 10 years. It's a big deal. Yeah. Probably since The Rock came back the last time. He's went up like the. When's the last time I heard a pop like that or even felt it felt it felt like the late nineties again last night. Like it was a packed crowd, it was a hot crowd, it was it was cool, man. It was it was effing cool. All right. On that note, um I'll definitely be back Thursday with fantasy football content. Billy, did you find someone for your fantasy football draft yet? I did. Okay. I did. And he's He's already not happy with the amount of text messages on the group text. I've done my best. I'm not going to partake in a group text this year. I'm going to try not to, and I'm going to go right to the man. I'm going to go right to the commish. I, uh, I was going to give you a chance to plug if you didn't have someone to fill that role. Uh, I appreciate it. I, I, I pulled, I pulled the post once I got somebody. Okay. Yeah, it's fine. So, um, but I do need a cheat sheet. So if you're going to update your stuff, I got uh, drafts on the second and the fifth. 
so I'll probably do one more brush up this week. Um, okay. But really, for the most part, the ranks are mostly set. Like, I don't know how much more we're going to learn other than injuries. Yeah. Um, there so, haven't been any big injuries, knock on Leavitt's. Right. Now, you do have Clyde Edwards, who's around a second round, mid to late second round pick, did sprain his ankle yesterday. Doesn't seem like it's that serious, but it did happen, so keep your eye on that injury report. I'm not adjusting okay. his rank um, just just yet. Um, other than that, there no, there hasn't. Um, okay. So, uh, no, my cheat sheet, the ranks are for the most part set. Um, if you need a cheat sheet, a secondary one, if you second guess me, you can always go to Fantasy Pros. They have a good expert consensus ranking where you can just print out like the average of all the experts um, if that's okay. what you would wish to do. Um, that's a good resource. Uh, there's if Look, I'll run them down. I, they don't pay me to say this. These are shows that either I listen to or I used to listen to um, and what got me more into fantasy. I'm a big fan of this year of a podcast called Fade the Chalk. Um came out it's they're affiliated with a fade the noise website they have a lot of advanced analytics that are very interesting um you can go there fantasy points uh the owner of that was at one time i think two years in a row the most accurate ranker on fantasy pros uh they're a good resource i would highly recommend them too the fantasy footballers are a good resource um probably the most entertaining of the fantasy football podcasts very well produced um they have rankings up there um they're the ones that normally I would recommend to folks. So if, if you don't want to take my word for it, you think I'm an idiot or you're just listening to me because I don't know, you find the sound of my voice to be entertaining. Um, it's soothing. It's, it's soothing. soothing. <laughs> so if you if you want to compare and contrast, I'm perfectly fine with that. As I mentioned, Fantasy Pros takes a consensus. I'd recommend any of those sources. Some have premium content. Some are free. Um, but I would recommend any of those. You don't have to just take my word for it. So, um, otherwise you can go to drivewayathletes.com, take a look at my ranks, take a look. I have a blurb for a certain amount of players at each position. You could take a look at some of those blurbs about, uh, what I like and dislike about some players. Um, when's your first draft, Billy? Or are you only in one? It would, as of now, it's Thursday the 2nd and I have one on Sunday the 5th. Okay. So you're very late. Um, yeah. Some people were recording this on Saturday. Some people are probably drafting right now or later today. Some people are drafting tomorrow. I think this week and next week are the biggest drafts of the weekend. So if you've gotten this far, we're a pretty long way into this episode where we talk nothing about fantasy football. Um, you can go back, and if this is the first episode of ours you ever listened to, you can go back and listen, and you're doing your draft pep. You can listen to us talk about um, rankings, where players are going, um, what we like, dislike, mock drafts. We've kind of got a lot of subjects there that we recorded earlier in the off season. So otherwise, yeah, otherwise I will be back Thursday with more fantasy content. Uh, we will be back sometime next week, maybe with more wrestling content. And uh, it's been real. Bye-bye.